From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth Podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth for Thursday, July 6th, or Summer Part B, as I sometimes refer to it. We count our summer weekends up here in the North, and there aren't a lot of them. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm so glad you joined me. My prayer is always through the podcast that you come away built up and edified in the faith. Let's acknowledge the Lord before we get underway this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you with deep gratitude and a, a tremendous desire to know you better to rely on you more. Uh, Lord, we ask that you protect us and shield us uh, in such days that we live in, Lord. It's uh, a difficult time for all, and I pray that you would keep us from uh, that discouragement uh, that sometimes happens when we look at our outward circumstances, Lord. I pray you'd just fill us uh, with your spirit, help us to endure, and uh, Lord, we, we give you all the praise and all the glory And we ask that you walk among your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to open with a verse today that has come to mean a lot to me personally. Now, it comes from 1 Corinthians 15. And as a chapter, of course, this is Paul's brilliant defense of the resurrection. And he goes on to talk about the rapture. And then finally, uh, how we can be sure that the sting of eternal death and hell are null and void for the believer. And so he ends ends the, uh, the chapter with verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All these incredible truths uh, that we see that Paul has written are a firm foundation for that immovable heart and mind so that we can be about our Father's business. And we know how it ends, right? So eternity matters. And no matter what the Lord has for us, whether it's something you've been doing or something completely new, in either case, do it with fervor. Uh, the idea there is to overflow or exceed the measuring cup with your labors for the kingdom. And I have a favorite verse that goes along with that, actually. It's a companion verse, and it says, Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. What a great encouragement as we see the finish line approaching. Well, today I want to look at some headlines, um, but with a specific focus. And that focus is the battle that we are in related to truth versus lies. Uh, you can probably recall a time when you were uh, unsaved, unregenerate, and you didn't pay a lot of attention to the truth. Not just truth, but the truth. And before we know the Lord, you know, we just live after the flesh and anything goes, including um, deception, uh, if it's to our advantage. Because before we know Christ, we're powered by self-interest. But as I think about truth, I think about Pilate's question for Jesus in John 18.38. He says, what is truth? Well, truth is standing right in front of him. That day, uh, truth said he was God in the flesh. And since the religious leaders considered that blasphemy, they decided that the truth had to die. Uh, And the number of lies and Jewish laws that were broken during Jesus' trial should tell us more than we ever wanted to know about the battle between truth and falsehood when God was put on trial by mankind, and he still is, isn't he? Uh, He's being put on trial by humans. 
Sometimes I wonder, was Pilate being honest or cynical or indifferent? I've often wondered about that. And history doesn't really tell us what happened to him. You know, did his encounter with the living God have any effect on him? There's an article out there. Sometimes I go to Got Questions and uh, website, and perhaps you do too. If you if you go online and you type in what is truth, I, I make you know no guarantees of what's going to come up. But this article from Got Questions. Um, called What is Truth, is worth your time. So I suggest you look into that. Uh, and it remains that few outside the faith really even bother to ask anymore what truth is. Because we live in a relativistic society where you can say, this is true, as long as you don't follow it with, and therefore that is false. People don't want to hear the second part. They're kind of okay with the first part because it's your truth. It's not their truth. But as soon as you say, and therefore that is false, that gets to be a problem. Now, if someone also says there's no such thing as absolute truth, and they're absolutely sure of that, then you know they're wrong from the start because that's just nonsensical. Now, I've quoted 1 John 5.19 numerous times on the podcast, which says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And this is so rich. Because if we're of God who cannot lie and the world is under the sway of the father of lies, there's your epic battle of worldviews. And it should make our heads spin day in and day out, which it does. But it also proves and shows that we are in a war. And I want to talk about that this morning. The very name of this podcast, Stand Up for the Truth, indicates that lies and half-truths are and will continue to be exposed. We're committed to that. But what has been driven home to me since stand-up began in 2010 is just how many lies there are to expose, and particularly at this point here in 2023. Now, I have no intention of taking any of the world's lies lying down. In other words, I'm not going to submit to, surrender to, be passive about, yield, endure, tolerate, put up with, stomach, stand for, grin and bear, stick it out, or take it on the chin. And that's my thesaurus, and I'm sticking to it. I'm not going to put up with the lies of this world. Now, to not take something lying down is to resist or oppose the lies and to stand up for the truth actively. Psalm 1 says, Do not walk with the ungodly or stand with the sinners or sit with the scoffers. How's that for some body language? But that's not the way of the world. Instead, we have increasing coordinated efforts by powers and principalities to make sure that truth never sees the light of day, that truth is further destroyed by a host of schemes. I mean human schemes powered by principalities, to obscure the truth, to punish it, to twist it, and redefine it. We're told in First Corinthians to be careful not to be outwitted by the enemy's devices. I think we have more schemes and devices than we can currently deal with, and it's exhausting. And one of the reasons people tune out of the news is because of that constant inability to really understand anymore who's telling the truth about anything. But what we're going to do here is we're going to look at a few of these schemes and devices and define them uh, so that we can know what we're up against and put up a fight for the truth. The first thing on my list, though, that I want to define here and talk about the origins of is social media. This is our jump-off place. Social media, to me, is really an enigma. Supposedly, one of its purposes is to bring people together and to make the world smaller by allowing us to become a digital part of social movements and causes. Digital activism really has always been the goal of social media. Now, if Twitter had been around for, say, the Tiananmen Square protests in 1989, we might have understood more of our world and what it was becoming. 
Now, even though today Tiananmen Square is basically full of tourists and surveillance cameras, I consider it the beginning of a move to draw us all into world events, kicking and screaming sometimes, and with multiple accompanying interpretations of those events. But thanks to social media, not only do we get to experience what other people think and feel, for better or for worse, but, and this is really important, movers and shakers, global elites, and what I call end-stage Marxists, get to see what and who opposes their plans to unite the world under a global umbrella of tyranny and injustice and deceit. Due to the number of wicked schemes increasingly thrown at us uh, every day, I'm guessing that some of these elites were unprepared for really how great a number of people understand freedom from where we get it, and see through the lies and are willing to actively oppose the destruction of society. I'm guessing mostly in the USA, where we have been free and um, we're the last to fall, as far as I'm concerned. So if the truth sets us free, the alternate must be true, that lives enslave us. And do they ever. I'm convinced that today's architects of society are taking inventory to see what it'll take to make you and I blink. And they won't be taking that lying down either. So along comes a bumper crop of ways to censor truth and redecorate lies. And some no longer even lie about what they're doing, such as Klaus Schwab uh, and the WEF. They just admit it openly. Now, we already know what censorship is. We're living in it as governments and big tech continue to conspire to keep people who speak the truth from realizing their plans. Now, liars always persecute truth tellers. It doesn't go the other way around. Liars lie loudly. (laughs) And the truth comes out as quiet confidence. Christians who tell the truth will ultimately be silenced because persecution is all about hating the truth and those who speak it. And those who lie are willing to use force to get the truth to be quiet. So let's look at the ways we're persuaded to follow the trail of lies. And I call these... Terms of surrender, because if you fall for any of these, you've surrendered your mind and your heart, and you have surrendered the truth. Now, there are more of these schemes than I actually thought about it once I sat down and looked at it. We're going to talk about misinformation and disinformation. What are those? Well, misinformation is false information that is spread regardless of intent to mislead. Okay, now this can happen on any given day. We can mishear or misremember uh, details, you know, we'll tell someone that, oh, something we heard on TV or saw on social media that wasn't completely true. Now, if you're spreading around information that's wrong, but you don't know it's wrong, well, technically you're spreading misinformation. It could be something very simple as what time an event is starting and, and you misheard it and humans do this all the time. So it's any kind of false or wrong information. But disinformation, with a D, uh, describes false information, maybe about a war or politics or politicians, and it's intentionally misleading, intentional subversion, manipulated facts, outright propaganda, um, see government intelligence. <laughs> so disinformation is misinformation that is knowingly or intentionally spread. Now, next term of surrender, fake news. Fake news which we've all heard about enough of over the last couple of years, right? It's a fabricated story containing nothing verifiable. No quotes, nothing is verifiable. It's often meant to elicit an emotional response. Something that is also fake news is clickbait. Maybe you know what that is, maybe you don't. 
Uh, it's an online link that contains a story that gives rewards to the author of that story depending on how many people click on it. And they will go to great lengths to bait you into clicking on their link, uh, either with a far-out headline or some provocative or weird photo, uh, also known as manipulated content. And you're going to find clickbait on pretty much every site that follows a news story or an article. You can go on a news app and there's clickbait at the end of the day's headlines. And it's just, it's really intrusive and don't click on it. <laughs> um, okay. The next, um, next propaganda or the next title we have here is narrative. Now a narrative is a type of storytelling and that too is meant to elicit an emotional response. It's to connect people to a shared experience. It's a form of propaganda. Now political ads, at least be- before they came so vicious, like we saw in the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, um, narratives, um, political ads would be considered narratives because they are carefully crafted. And again, to get a powerful response and to sway an outcome, there are racial narratives, gender narratives, social justice narratives, but particularly um, political ads are narratives. Propaganda. Propaganda is information given to influence public opinion and further an agenda. A lot of these are similar, but a little bit different. Propaganda can contain rumors, half-truths, manipulation, again, all designed to control behavior. Now, just watch the nightly news, and you will get that from beginning to end. Propaganda, and they also want to change your belief system. And I'm going to give you one guess as to what historical event contained all these and more. That would be the COVID crisis so-called. Because we had the lockdown, mask, social distancing, jab disinformation propaganda narrative, right? And don't forget the guilt trippers who said that if you don't do all the above, you're probably guilty of murdering your grandmother or murdering your neighbor. Um, so we were either going to be forced to have our eyes open then or forced to close them. There really was nothing in between. Truth versus life-changing lies, world-changing lies, the entire planet this is interesting, was riveted to the same thing at the same time. I don't know that that's happened in the past, and that to me is more proof that of its deliberateness and its wickedness. There's propaganda in schools, lots of it, over race theory and gender. There are lies about Israel. There are lies, of course, about scripture, about Genesis, um, lies about creation, you know, if Genesis isn't true, then then Revelation isn't true, and none of the rest is true. How convenient. So we're going to lie and say that that didn't really happen. Um, that wasn't really real events. Um, or switch it around, old earth, young earth. And then evolution, which is, of course, one of the biggest lies ever. Here's another one. A whistleblower. What's a whistleblower? Well, it's someone who reveals information about an organization regarding some illegal, shady activities. A whistleblower is someone who exposes lies, and they tend not to be very popular, right? I wonder why. Here's one, psyops. I hear that one a lot lately. Psychological operations. One definition I found that psyops is a type of propaganda, communication, or writing designed to influence a certain targeted group's thinking or decision-making. Originally, it was a military term. Uh, psychological warfare designed to sway the actions of a foreign government or a military group. Today, it's often used for any false flag deception or distraction. Now, a false flag, defined by a gentleman named Nick, Nick Giambruno, is an incident designed to deceive people into thinking it was carried out by someone else. All these levels of deception. It's just amazing. 
Now we have social disruptors, those who propose radical transformation in which previous certainties of society, things that we could count on, are disappearing. But something new is emerging. Social disruptors, Klaus Schwab, Noah Harari, Bill Gates, George Soros, and this one. Now Obama said in 2008, we are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Well, it took longer than five days, but the crowd loved it. Now, some of us probably looked at each other and said, what did he just say? At least I hope we did. But most people just went, you know, they they applauded. I mean, the audience just went crazy. But a lot of other people just went back to sleep and and hit the uh, snooze button on their smoke alarm. So he actually gets my award for the social disruptor of the century because I think he was one of the first and he has not gone away. Chaos agents. Well, back in the 60s, the culture experienced a season of chaos. And that was largely due to the Vietnam War, protests against the government. Because of that, um, a new youth culture seemed to thrive on the chaos and rebellion. And there was also a breakdown of morals and family life. Um, the rise of feminism. There was a general climate of uncertainty. And I recall having some conversations about this with my mom. She really struggled with having two sons in college at the time both in very progressive schools before we, before any of them or us knew what that was, but one of them in Madison, uh, where things were particularly unsettled and um, progressive. I remember we dropped him off at college for his first day, and it was uh, the day after the, the science building was blown up in Madison. So we knew something was terribly wrong. But the word chaos even reminds me of TV's Get Smart. Remember that? Which was a parody of the spy genre where chaos... K-A-O-S, was a literal institution in the show. In fact, uh, it was the International Organization of Evil. And goodness, however, rested with the opposite organization called Control. Always working for control, trying to control the chaos, right? Well, chaos can be a powerful tool of manipulation uh, in, and control in the hands of a few powerful elites for economic and social and political and military reasons. Chaos can come in the form of bank failures, power grid issues, rioting, power vacuums. Uh, I have no doubt there are chaos agents behind the scenes looking to disrupt anything just to bring about change. And, of course, George Soros comes to mind. Uh, also, there is governing by crisis management. And the idea, never let a good crisis go to waste in order to deceive and manipulate and make changes. And the crisis doesn't have to be real. Of course, it can be completely manufactured. Disruption, that's very similar. Disruption is just chaos on purpose. We've seen um, with technology and just the exponential increase in technology over the years, we've seen a lot of digital disruption. Mobile phones have changed the world. They've changed our lives. Um, we had, uh, going back a little bit, DVDs over VHS, C- CDs over vinyl, um, digital currency, soon to be CBDCs, government digital currencies, crypto, streaming programs, television. Uh, and we all know that video killed the radio star, right? Everybody knows that. Climate disruption. Okay, right here you insert lies about climate change and how we have to remake our world in order to save it. Lies galore. Entire countries weaponize fake news, propaganda, and disinformation to control a specific narrative like, say, oh, the Ukraine war. This is one of those things where no one seems to really understand what's going on, and you know that's by design. Um, What about elections? Okay, Um, you can weaponize uh, information 
um, to control elections or any number of events seen, foreseen, unforeseen, and all the above makes it nearly impossible to determine what is going on. And that's why, even though we might know a lot about Bible prophecy, we kind of have to guard against instant analysis of what current events might mean, even if we think we might know or understand, and we might. But due to the spin and lies over everything, we have to be patient before being definitive, or at times don't even attempt to give people an idea of what a specific thing means because there's a good chance we don't know what is going on yet. And we can risk discrediting ourselves. So we got to be careful with that because we have entered the twilight zone of deception. And we're moving towards that time in Revelation where it talks about lying signs and wonders. This is all building towards that. Now, Daryl West of the Brookings Institute wrote a concise report entitled A Fracturing World, the Future of Globalization. Um, just bear with me a couple minutes because he says this. We live in an era of mega change where large-scale transformations are disrupting our domestic economy, internal politics, and international order. There are shifts in areas ranging from technology and geopolitics to climate and domestic politics. Many features of life, which previously showed some degree of consistency and stability, are becoming unmoored and generating substantial change in how people communicate, make decisions, and relate to each other. Everyone needs to think carefully about how to navigate key developments and enable others to adjust to shifting realities. He talks about then tech disruption and automation. He says technology disruption is proceeding at a rapid pace. That's an understatement. The COVID-19 pandemic accelerated remote work, e-learning, e-commerce, telehealth, among other things. Even as the spread of disease slowed down, there is little indication the pace of digital innovation will follow. On major aspects of digital transformation, we're not likely to return to pre-COVID world, and we know that already. He talks about new developments such as AI, machine learning, and data analytics are being implemented in many sectors, completely changing businesses and government and civil society. Automation is transforming factories, warehouses, and offices and shifting the relationship between employers and workers. And he says people are struggling with resilience and adaptability. Um, he said the global order is fracturing. New alignments are unfolding. China is rising economically, politically, militarily. Russia is asserting control over another country's territory. European nations are coming together, there's prophecy, to deal with the Ukraine war. And then he talks about climate change and extreme weather. Climate change is shifting weather patterns. Well, we know that's not true. Generating extreme weather events and impacting agricultural production, water, access, and human migration. Most countries are used to set weather patterns, and it's hard for individuals in places to cope with droughts, floods, wildfires, and natural disasters. I call those birth pangs. I know we don't talk about those much. Um, one of these days I'm going get, to get some information for you that will really show you how things have changed as far as the weather goes. The Bible calls those birth pangs. It talks about political chaos. He says, in the U.S. particularly, there are major challenges in terms of demographics, voting rights, institutional performance, the rule of law. He says there's high political polarization and growing extremism. And get this, people increasingly see opponents as enemies who are not to be trusted with the nation's future. Many isolate themselves within echo chambers that reflect their own points of view and don't want to deal with those from other beliefs or backgrounds. A recent NBC News uh, survey of college students found that half did not want to live with someone who voted differently and they didn't want to date someone with different political views, and two-thirds indicated they wouldn't marry someone from a different political background. Okay. This is polarization in the extreme. Divide and conquer. 
How do you do that? Well, you tell a lot of lies, right? So he's correct about what he's saying, but he's missing the human factor, the intentional manipulation of global systems and perceptions, and that's taking us headlong into a global everything in preparation for the final world leader or antichrist. This is just, it's so clear where we are headed. We don't know the time uh, time frame on it, but there's no going back. And this degree of change isn't random. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. But the father of lies is working overtime to deceive and distract and draw souls to him himself for all eternity. Worldviews are colliding. And mankind is the spoils in this cosmic drama. What does First John 5.19 say again? The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. That word, you probably figured out now I love words because words have structure, words have meaning, and using them is a cause and effect. So the whole cosmos is under the sway of the wicked one. Cosmos is the world order. Not the new, not the old necessarily. The world order, the arrangement of world systems which are owned by the enemy. Now the word cosmetic, cosmetology, we get from cosmos. And that has to do with arrangement. I'll let you do whatever you want with that. Now note too, this first came to me then after I saw that again. Second John 1, 7, for many deceivers are entered into the world, the cosmos, the world order, who confess not that Jesus has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So, you know, it's just amazing to me what's going on. Um, I did a word study a few years ago, surprise, several years ago now, actually, and it's comparing three words, and I want to get this in before the break, and then we're going to pick this up where we left off. Uh, my name is Mary Danielson. We're doing some um, uh, terms of surrender when it comes to lies and deceit in this world. Oikumene, also in the Latin, oikumenicum, ecumenism in the Greek. Ecumenism is the known inhabited world, okay? All the people in unity, all the people taken in unity, ecumenism. Oikologia is Greek word for ecology, the study of the environment. Then we have your global warming obsession. Then oikonomia, the word for economy. How interesting. All these are very similar words that describe the whole inhabited world. Ecumenism is a lie. Humanity being one or attempting to become one outside of God will incur judgment as it did at Babel because Jesus is the way. Ecology, the study of the earth and its characteristics in the hands of humans, brings what? More lies. Earth worship, evolution of created things, global warming, all lie-based systems. Economics, well, that's based on multiple lies. Because we know fiat money, the money that your paper money, is government-issued currency. It's not backed by anything of value such as gold. And it gives central banks control over the economy because they can control how much money is printed. Paper money, therefore, is basically worthless, and I'm sure you know that on different levels, because governments can print too much of it, and that results in hyperinflation. Now, money may not be real, but the power that comes from it is very real, and it has caused more death, destruction, and envy than anything um, else probably in the history of the world, because the love of money, the Bible calls it, of course, is the root of all evil. All there means all. 1 Timothy 6.10. So let's add more falsehood, and it's a very, very dangerous kind of falsehood. And that CBDCs, digital money, created out of, surprise, created out of nothing, 
um, Britt Gillette has a great uh, article, uh, Central Bank Digital Currencies, and I know we've talked about this on Stand Up, and he calls it enslavement. They are the future of currency, and when they arrive, they will enslave the world, he says. To understand why, you have to understand what they are, how they serve the vision of those in power, and why they are inevitable. Now, they have yet to be launched on a large scale, but uh, those who advocate them and are working on them envision a government-controlled crypto that replaces national currencies. And I know that that you know this. Um, They will use digital tokens on a computer network to represent a national currency. It will rely on the blockchain. As a replacement for paper currency, it will serve as the digital equipment, uh, equivalent, sorry, of paper currency for use as payment and an official unit of account. It'll have its own unique serial number or digital watermark to prevent counterfeiting. Central banks are, are openly discussing the introduction of these and they're saying possibly by uh, late summer here for the United States. England, Canada, China, European Union, the U.S., why should you care? <laughs> Uh, because they're far different from Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. It's decentralized. There's no single authority that controls it. But central banks will regulate, control CBDCs, and you'll see soon see this. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about some of the things that he is bringing up that we have not heard yet. So, this is Mary Danielson. We're talking about uh, terms of surrender when it comes to deception in the world, and we'll be right back. And don't forget to go to our website, standupforthetruth.com, and click the subscribe link and get our weekly email digest. Standupforthetruth.com, click subscribe. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth on July the 6th. My name is Mary Danielson, and we're talking about the world system of lies. I call um, terms of surrender are what the world wants us to do, to surrender the truth, to sign on to their terms, and see the world as they see it. Uh, but Christians have a much higher calling. And so we're talking about that today. Uh, some of the uh, vocabulary that has to do with uh, lies and the systems that are used against us, things to watch out for, things that you hear that you may not be able to uh, define. So we're working on that today. Um, before the break, we were talking about an article by Britt Gillette, Central Bank Digital Currencies, um, and why they are inevitable. Before CBDCs can become the standard, paper currency has to be eliminated. We're moving toward that goal now. The COVID pandemic accelerated the trend towards cashless payments. And according to the Pew Research Center, during any given week, nearly a third of U.S. adults say they typically make no purchases in cash. The younger you are, the more likely you are to use cashless payments. This means the trend will continue long into the future. But if people don't voluntarily choose cashless payments, paper currency will disappear anyway. This is because new technologies will soon make it impossible to prevent counterfeiting. 3D desktop printing technologies will create objects where every molecule was perfectly positioned. With such technologies, counterfeiters will flood the world with perfect copies of every national currency. And no one will be able to tell the difference between fake currency and real currency. And when that happens, both the fake and the real will be worthless. World governments won't have a choice. They'll quickly do away with all physical currency 
and all economic transactions will go digital. The replacement will either be a series of central bank digital currencies or a single currency for the whole world. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if people will reject it or not, but I think it's highly unlikely. Adoption will have to be quick and easy. And, and this gentleman says they will launch a campaign to claim your digital wallet. There will be incentives. I know that that's true. To incentivize people to do so, they'll provide initial deposit of, and he says up to $10,000 or whatever amount is necessary to get people to take action. And once everyone's on board, they'll eliminate paper currency and other options for goods and services. So then we will just have that government, um, controlled economic system. It's kind of a long article, but it also leads to, and we've talked about this before, their ability to control your behavior. Okay, down to the most minute details of your daily life. Uh, if the government decides they don't like you, they can cut off access to your account and freeze you out of the system. So there's more deceptions versus truth. Um, so, I mean, your economic behavior will be completely able to be manipulated. Um, it says they, central bankers can print currency, but they can't make banks loan it and they can't make you send it, uh, spend it. So they have no control over the current uh, movement of money. Uh, but with CBDC, they can introduce negative interest rates. Uh, and it's just very, very interesting. If you don't use it, you will lose it. So that's a very interesting perspective on all that. We also have AI. And I know, we, again, we've talked about that. But it bears repeating because this is coming so fast. Because it has, I think, the most potential for deception and lies. Uh, the danger is off the charts for, uh, for um, hallucinations and fabrications and if uh, Yuval Harari can boast an AI Bible to create a new belief system, then this is an open-ended, what I would call a black hole of deception, the likes of which mankind has never seen or ever will. Deep fakes, deep deception, false narratives. Again, the terms of surrender. Of course, now there's deception in the church. I don't even want to talk about that, but it's true. And to me, it's the most grievous because truth has to originate somewhere. Truth isn't just some random thing that you believe. It has an origin. And it originates with Jesus, the creator, the savior, the prophet, priest, and king. And the ones who have been given the truth to guard should be able to, should want to do so, right? Well, Satan is always on the prowl. There's a war going on. And he sows lies and half-truths. For those who love not the truth, and it is so sad to say that they are in the church. You've got the wheat and the tares. What about the false uh, denominations and belief systems and cults that hold people in their grip, but they don't teach anything resembling truth? Well, that's another podcast altogether. So the lies are everywhere. And again, before I actually sat down and quantified this, or, or was a part of Stand Up For The Truth and saw day after day, all the things that are worth standing up for and worth calling out, then you really see how incredibly soaked, sin-soaked, and lie-soaked this world is. Discernment is for every believer. Spurgeon has a great quote. He says, Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, but knowing the difference between right and almost right. Lies don't announce themselves. Right? Deception wouldn't be deception if it was plainly seen or perceived. Lies have to be picked up and carried by humans to have a life of their own. And a lie, they do have a life of their own because a lie repeated often enough will become someone's truth. It might become a lot of someone's truth. 
a world full of someone's truth. Now, I'm always fascinated to go to a music store, and I see wall after wall of instruments. They're beautiful, but they're just hanging there. They don't do anything. But a person with a skill, a human being, can pick one up, and you have something that comes from the very heart and soul of a musician, someone who loves music. And it can be the most glorious thing to hear the creativity of someone made in the image of God. But alternately, our hearts can be sorely deceived and can wreak absolute havoc on the world. We're capable of doing unspeakable things to other humans when left to our own devices. Satan's devices, the father of lies. So we can be bearers of truth and creativity, and we can be sowers of lies and deep deception. We're going to go through a couple more articles today. There's some good ones out there. In fact, there's probably more than I can fit in. But this one is interesting, and it's introduced. It's, it's by a gentleman named Matthias Desmet, and it's introduced by Robert Malone, and uh, this is a colleague of his. And it's regarding the army, army of digital propagandists recruited and deployed by the U.N. during COVID. And he says, this reporting details another aspect of fifth-generation warfare methods which have been deployed on all of us by the various globalist organizations which claim to, quote, own the science. Now, fifth-generation warfare is what we've been talking about today. It is social engineering. It is mis- and disinformation. It's hacking. It's cyber-stalking. It's, it's that war um, that makes everything appear to be something different than what it is. And the headline is, by Matthias, the UN's Digital first responders, or UN's virtual brown shirts, question mark. And Matthias says, I found it hard to believe at first, but the UN website leaves no doubt about it. The UN recruited more than 100,000 digital first responders worldwide during the corona crisis. Melissa Fleming, head of global communications for the United Nations, also described its function in a podcast, quote, to detect and neutralize misinformation and fake news on social media as quickly as possible by countering it with accurate, reliable information. Now, we all know that truth is in the, is in the mind and heart of the teller, right? And so when you hear misinformation, disinformation, if you've ever been in Facebook jail without a trial, you know what it means when they slap that on you and say, you just lied and we're not going to put up with it. Well... Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about Facebook jail. Um, she says the UN campaign also states that it's clear digital first responders use their voice for good by providing life-saving information. The digital first responder thus forms an addition to the now well-known fact checker. However, unlike the fact checker, the digital first responder doesn't get paid and the UN doesn't disclose who is working for them. Why not? Perhaps for this reason. Whatever strategies these volunteers use, the UN image won't suffer. Plausible deniability? I don't know. In other words, at first glance, the digital first responders are a group of selfless citizens who fight disinformation purely for a good cause in the name of science and solidarity. The question, however, is whether they would more accurately be described as virtual brown shirts unfettered by any ethical rule or moral principle to marginalize, ridicule, and criminalize dissident voices. The UN is not the only major institution that feels obligated to uh, impose its ideology in this way. 
Robert Malone showed us that during the corona crisis, the American Centers for Disease Control and Prevention paid organizations to silence critical doctors through cyber-stalking. That those digitally roughed-up doctors often turned out to be correct is apparently beside the point for institutions such as the CDC and the UN. It doesn't seem to matter what the truth is. The powers that be will eventually realize the best possible society. That goal is so sacred, it doesn't matter by what means it is pursued, or something like that. And then he goes on to give a list of the UN goals, the sustainable development goals, which you know they're trying to implement as soon as possible. Um, but, you know, th- this is, again, something that's going to completely undo our world. Um, it, it says here, Matthias also says, uh, ends up with the UN is even collaborating with social media platforms to develop strategies to promote the dominant narrative and suppress anything that deviates from it. Melissa Fleming explains, we meet with social media platforms regularly. They have made some significant policy changes. They've been pointing people to the direction of good content. What is good content? Oh, WHO content, UN content, CDC content. When they're in that space of searching, they're trying to suppress misinformation in various ways. Some of it is flagging, putting it down on their algorithms, banning certain groups. But despite these measures, we're seeing a huge prevalence of misinformation traveling on social media. Surprise, surprise. What else are they going to do? And it ends with this. The greatest danger to humanity is not a virus, nor the climate, nor even poverty. The greatest danger to humanity lies in ideological blindness and fanaticism. Man ceases to be human when he becomes so convinced of his own ideas that he wants to forbid those of the others. Another article that was in Children's Health Defense, uh, it's called The Defender, and I read that on a regular basis. We talked about this article last week a little bit, and it's called, As AI Starts to Monopolize Online Searches, Will State Propaganda Become the Only Information Available? Now, So how deep is the rabbit hole? And specifically in this article, I want to call attention, <laughs> here's another level of deception that maybe you haven't thought about. And the question asked in this article is, is Elon Musk controlled opposition? I didn't even get to controlled opposition, right? So let's look at this. Determining the trustworthiness of people within the alternative news space, okay, we're talking about people that you would go to um, to see what they have to say, is a challenge everyone is faced with in these days. Accusations of people being controlled opposition are common. The same goes for high-profile individuals in general. For example, some people, including uh, James Corbett and investigative journalist Whitney Webb, believe Elon Musk is controlled opposition. What led them to that conclusion? It's a question a lot of people have, so let's dig in. He says, on one side, you have people who believe Musk is exposing and undermining the military-industrial intelligence complex. On the other side are those who think he's just playing the good guy role while surreptitiously furthering deep state goals. Corbett says it's hard to overlook the massive support he's received from the military-industrial intelligence complex over the course of his career. And Corbett says this, we don't have to speculate about that. It's a matter of public record. We can point to the half billion dollars or so that the Department of Defense has awarded SpaceX in a series of contracts over the past few years to send satellites into orbit of classified nature, on unregistered, unreported missions that presumably have something to do with the DOD's declared intention to make space into a war-fighting domain. 
There's $3 billion in NASA contracts that SpaceX was awarded in 2021 to develop the human lander for the Artemis mission. And the never-going-to-happen, constantly-delayed moon trip that the public is being promised. Or the $750 million that was awarded to Solar City in 2016 by the state of New York to build a solar cell production facility. This, again, is another aspect of the business opportunities that Musk is involved in that I think shrieks of grift. A boondoggle at the very least, constantly promising a technology that not only does not deliver, but actually is actively harmful to the environment. I think that needs to be stressed. Then there's the $1.3 billion Tesla got from the state of Nevada in 2014 to build the Gigafactory. I'm not sure what that is. I'll get back to you. We could go through the list of, of such things, but perhaps more to the point was the fact that before Musk got to launch SpaceX, he was part of a trip to Russia to purchase old Soviet ICBMs that ultimately resulted in the starting of SpaceX. So that trip is what caused him to start SpaceX. Now, that's a weird connection. Who was accompanying Musk on that trip? Well, someone named Mike Griffin, who just happened to be the chief operating officer of Q- InQtel, which is the CIA's investment capital arm. Okay. So if you had questions about Elon Musk being a globalist or whatever, I don't know, some of this is, uh, speaks for itself. Because Griffin went on to become the administrator of NASA, and then he chose SpaceX as the one company out of 20 that was applying for it at the time for a $400 million contract, blah, blah, blah. So there you go. The literal deep state connection really couldn't get much clearer. Um, the article says, at every stage of Musk's business career, he's been saved uh, as need to, well, he, ha- he has been saved as need be with the um, deus ex machina of deep state agents like Mike Griffin swooping in with billions of dollars of contracts at just the right time. So, does he advocate good, bad, general, is he pragmatist and just does what works? I don't know. But you do want to keep an eye on him. Uh, I know he hosts Tucker Carlson on Twitter, and Tucker is uh, one of the last truth-tellers, so I don't know what you... Oh, my goodness. Um, Another strange article, and I'm just going to touch this real lightly. Trump's call for building freedom cities plays right into globalist's plan for fourth industrial revolution control grid. And some people wondered why um, Trump went with the CDC and told people to get vaxxed. And I think a lot of it was naivety. He really didn't know the end game. He wasn't in on it, which, you know, makes sense with the naivety aspect. But someone here is, uh, Leo Homan, actually. Leo Homan is a fantastic website. LeoHoman.com, L-E-O-H-O-H-M-A-N-N. LeoHoman.com. I read him regularly. Uh, he says, for several years now, myself and others with an eye toward the future have been warning people to get out of the cities or risk becoming a ward of the burgeoning technocratic beast system. Through their smart city technology and various engineered emergencies, the globalists hope to lure us into stack-and-pack housing where they can more easily control us with 24-7 surveillance and near total dependence on the globalist infrastructure for our jobs, transportation, food, water, Healthcare, entertainment, etc. Aldous Huxley, author of the 1931 novel A Brave New World, foresaw the end result of technocratic advances mixed with creeping centralization even back then. And here's a quote from Aldous Huxley The perfect dictatorship would have the appearance of a democracy, but would basically be a prison without walls, in which the prisoners would not even dream of escaping. It would essentially be a system of slavery where Through consumption and entertainment, the slaves would love their servitude. 
Yariko Guzantes Elio says, modern globalists tell us their plans in the wide open. They say by 2030, if we will just trust their plan to create a fourth industrial revolution, we will own nothing and be happy. Of course, there's a downside to the utopian dreams, which one of their leaders, Nova, uh, Yuval Harari, warns us about. And we all uh, have heard his quotes that says, humans will become useless, placed in our jobs by AI and um, kept pacified by drugs and various digitized entertainment. The price to pay for enjoying all the free stuff thrown your way in the cities will be that you must comply with a new set of rules. These rules will be connected to a social credit score like they have in China. But then he talks about um, Trump, who is, um, he says, the paragon of American conservatism has become, has come out of the woodwork with a contrarian message because he's calling for freedom cities. Um, and you can take this for what it's worth. Uh, instead of being uh, the evil smart cities run by Democrats, uh, when Trump builds them, they will be um, freedom cities, sort of Jetson-like, it says, a place where conservatives will flock to buy new smart homes connected to the grid with their smart cars, um, zipping up and down from one place to another. Uh, and he has concerns about this because he says, instead of warning us about the globalist plans for digitization of everything, including money and identities, our very persons, Trump puts a patriotic twist on the same globalist technocratic scheme. He's distracting us here with talk about flying cars and Americanizing the tools of our slavery. So that's an interesting perspective. Leo says there's nothing new about this proposal other than the packaging. Um, and he says uh, in building entire uninhabited cities, China's been doing that, completely outfitted with the infrastructure of te technocracy, cameras, speakers, facial recognition scanners, other surveillance Um he says it's a little more than a super-efficient spying apparatus. Trump sounds like he's not only trying to out-technocrat China, but also Saudi Arabia, where they're working on a similar dream of building a futuristic city called Neom. And you can look that up. There's some video out there, N-E-O-M. Um, look up Neom about what Saudi Arabia is doing to build this massive city. It's very interesting. So, and I mean, would, would any cities like that become the epicenter of a globalist control grid? Uh, will they be part of the sustainable development? And it is deceptive. I don't deny that. I don't know if a globalist advisor, same with uh, COVID, whispered this in his ear. And Leo actually says, I sense Jared Kushner's fingerprints all over this, or Lindsey Graham or some other uh, friend. Maybe it was even Klaus Schwab. So that is just a, for what it's worth, um, you can take that any way you want to. I don't, I don't really know. I have, I have no way of knowing, so we're speculating. But it also talks about the UN's proposed seven-year plan. And that's interesting. You know, is it prophetically significant? And Jonathan Brentner asked that question. The UN recently announced that they need seven years of accelerated transformative action to achieve SDGs. SDGs are the 17 sustainable development goals that the UN has put in place, and they put them in place eight years ago, through which they intend to establish a one-world government. And there's a uh, summit coming up, the SDG Summit. I can just love to be a fly on the wall there. But below is a quote, uh, Jonathan tells us, uh, from the UN's website regarding the upcoming summit during which they hope the leaders of the world will commit to a seven-year initiative to achieve all their SDGs, or Sustainable Development Goals. The SDG Summit in September 23 must signal a genuine turning point. This is from the UN website. It must mobilize the political commitment and breakthroughs our world desperately needs. It must deliver a rescue plan for people and planet 
At the center of the rescue plan, heads of state and government must recommit to seven years of accelerated, sustained, and transformative action, both nationally and internationally. Deliver on the promise of the SDGs. Um, leaders can show their resolve by adopting an ambitious and forward-looking political declaration at the summit and presenting global and national commitments for SDG transformation. And uh, Jonathan asks, is the fact that the globalists of our day are thinking in terms of seven years, is that prophetically significant? And he says, those who believe that the 70 weeks of Daniel 9, 24 to 27 remain relevant for our day would say yes. The last week of seven years, as the prophet describes in Daniel 9, 27, awaits a future fulfillment. Um, and also we t- it talks about uh, uh, the restoration of a kingdom of Israel, and that's required uh, in that uh, seven year, the 70, 70 years. And he goes on and he explains um, Daniel's 70th week, has it been fulfilled, what will happen during the 70th week. So it's a long article, obviously, but it's excellent. And Jonathan has, has asked the question, is the UN's seven-year plan prophetically significant? All right, so a few other things. Um, another one with Robert Malone, who's just excellent. He talks about the existential shock and that words do matter. Um, they are truths that help us to think and become aware and process experiences, derive meaning. Uh, he says, to use the mental tools of words and language to a significant extent is one key component as it separates humans from other species. Our ability to think and feel and access information has been manipulated by governments, NGOs, and various globalist organizations during this alarming period in the world and has impacted our own collective and individual psychological states and mental health. He says we've been manipulated and lied to repeatedly by institutions and organizations we once trusted. We knew there was some degree of collusion between the U.S. government partisans and the likes of the New York Times and the Post, but I, for one, had no idea how deeply all of corporate media and social media, state-sponsored media actually is what it is now, were acting as agents of government bureaucracy and the intelligence community. I learned an awful lot from putting all this together, interestingly enough. And I think the day is going to come when we won't be able to say these things anymore. It might be sooner rather than later. Um, Hal Lindsey has an article called Thought Wars, and he says, In 1838 was a time of great turmoil in America. In January of that year, a 28-year-old Illinois state representative addressed a prominent Springfield debating society on the perpetuation of our political institutions, and his name was Abraham Lincoln. He was deeply concerned about our nation's future, and he said, at what point will be, shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and cra- crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a thousand years. At what point, then, is the approach of danger to be expected? If it ever reaches us, it must spring up among us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction is our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. He talks about how our nation is bent on self-destruction. But there's hope, of course, Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. 
And my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is Mary Danielson, and this has been Stand Up for the Truth.